first time here or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. I'm so glad that you're able to be with us and uh, um, worship and think and contemplate. Um, for those of you who are online and are not uh, in the local area, um, just so that you're aware, this is the anniversary, as Gina was praying about, of the uh, Tulsa Race Massacre that happened 100 years ago. And um, the effects uh, you can still feel in the city. And um, as a people who are called to reconciliation, um, my prayer is that each one of us uh, would be cognizant of that, even if you don't live here, um, but also to recognize that any type of reconciliation between people starts in our own hearts. That's where it begins. And um, there are days that I need to be reconciled to myself and to my God. And then, um, <laughs> then maybe I can be reconciled to others. And I would hope that um, as we contemplate such horror, um, we would all recognize what we are as human beings capable of and throw ourselves on the mercy of God and ask him to change us and uh, to move us in such a way that things like that wouldn't happen again. Okay. Today on the church calendar is uh, Trinity Sunday. <clears throat> this is when the church celebrates the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. And... <clears throat> It's always on the church calendar as the first Sunday after Pentecost. Of course, last Sunday was Pentecost. And, and really, this makes sense if you think about it, because we start the whole thing off with the birth of Jesus, right, at Christmas time, and then we celebrate the, the um, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus at Easter, and then we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and so here we are, after Pentecost, we're able to view the Trinity backwards, right? So here we are, we're looking back, we're seeing how God's been active in the church calendar, and so here we are with Trinity, Sun, uh, Trinity Sunday. Now, um, I have to be honest, I had to look this up. Uh, I really wanted to understand kind of where Trinity Sunday came from. And uh, it seems to have developed as a response to heresy in the early church. And for those of you who are um, interested in church history, the heresy in particular was called Arianism. You can go look that up if you want to. Um, I'm not going to give you a lecture about it because I don't want to put you to sleep. <laughs> okay? So the heresy was Arianism. And so what, what seems to have occurred is that this idea, at least within what we call high church or very liturgical churches, Catholics, Lutherans, Anglicans, Methodists, those who celebrate with a, a certain type of liturgy, um, chose to give this day, uh, or uh, give the Trinity uh, an early special day over time. So it didn't happen all at once. It wasn't like some pope declared it, okay? It happened over a period of time. So it, it gained steam um, over a, a series of, of a couple of centuries. <clears throat> so we use this term called Trinity, and the question remains, what does it actually mean? So Trinity Sunday, because um, as a church, we are Trinitarian, 
What does that mean? Right? We use that term. We toss it around. And obviously, um, it refers to the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay, we have three. And they are three distinct persons, but they are all one. Huh? <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? And I want to talk a little bit about that today and, and uh, kind of fill you in on this idea of Trinity. Because Trinity... Um, is a contraction for the word triunity, where you have three in one. So when you see the word trinity, it's a contraction, right, of triunity, three in one. And so the way to think about this, I think, most effectively, and we'll talk about this a little bit more as we go on, is that you have God with three persons who is living in perfect community, perfect love with himself, Okay, so you've got this love relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit that is, uh, is occurring and has been since the beginning of time. We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, as well. And frankly, it's one of the reasons why you and I are actually here. Because God is in perfect community with himself in love, and love always wants more. Think of it this way. Love is always expansive. It's always expanding. So God's living in perfect love with himself. He wants more. So he makes human beings to be in relationship with him who is in perfect relationship with himself. Now this is more than just mental gymnastics. And remember that each person is made in the image of God. And so when we um, have love, we want more. A great example is, of this is that if you have a couple who is in love and they actually have love between the two of them, typically they want kids. And we say, oh, that's biological and natural. Mm, no, I think it's more has, to do, has more to do with, with God and, and God's heart and his nature and what love actually is than anything else. Does this make sense? So God's in perfect community, perfect love community with himself, and he invites the rest of us to be in that community too. Love is always expanding. Love always wants more. Always does. And it wants the best for people. But it always wants more. It's always expanding, always expansive. And this is why the kingdom of God is such a big deal for us is because the kingdom of God is that way of describing an ever-expanding group of people living in love relationship with God. Have you ever noticed that in the beginning of the Bible, what starts in, the, in a garden with two people in God ends up in Revelation in a city? Why do you think that is? Because the city's got a lot of people in it. It's ever-expanding. The relationship that God has with himself expands to all of us. And the current president of Asbury Seminary, his name is uh, Dr. Timothy Tennant, and he writes this, the Trinity is important because it reveals that God's very nature is relational. It's relational. He's in relationship with himself, and so he creates the rest of us to be in relationship with him too, because the nature of love is always expanding, always, always expanding. Now, <clears throat> to be fair, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, 
<gasps> what? Mm. But the concept is threaded throughout the entire book. And I want to uh, give you a couple of verses um, that lead us into this three-in-one understanding. Okay, And then I'm going to come back and make some comment about it. But I want you to be able to see some of these ideas that are happening in, in the scripture, in the text, so that you know that this idea of trini- Trinitarianism uh, is, is on solid ground and is part of orthodox understanding of Christianity. So <clears throat> let me just start at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky over the livestock, so on and so forth, so that they can rule, okay? But notice that the term here is let us make mankind in our. So there's a, there's a plural here related to God. Now, it goes on in Chapter 3, verse 22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of, not one of me, one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So here in the very early stages of the Bible, we have this very odd reference to plural. Now, we have to be very careful because I know there are some people who um, Uh, who might be watching who are Bible scholars and they might take me to task for this. And the reason why is that there's some strange things linguistically that's going on in the Hebrew here. So we have to be very careful with this passage, but at the same time, it seems to underscore this idea of more than one. Would you agree? So we see this in, in the opening chapters of Genesis. We see it again, actually, in the prophet Isaiah. There's other places too, but I like this one. And it says, and now the sovereign Lord has sent me, this is Isaiah speaking, endowed with his spirit. And so you have the separation of the sovereign Lord has sent me, not with himself, but with his spirit. So you have two separate ideas. Does this make sense? So it's not just the sovereign Lord is with him, but his spirit is with him. So again, there's the separation. It's, it's quite, quite strange. <clears throat> Um, And this is also echoed, again, in the New Testament. We're skipping rocks again. Did you ever get that feeling? We're going to skip over the Bible a little bit. Matthew chapter 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. How cool would that have been? And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Please look at this and see that you have three very distinct persons who are evident in this, in this passage. You have God the Father in the form of a voice speaking to his Son. He calls him Son. And then you have the Spirit of God uh, descending. So you have three separate entities, so to speak, three separate persons in this particular case. They're together in the scene, but they're distinct. Do you see that? Matthew chapter 28. Jesus, before he leaves, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God? Nope. God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
So even Jesus recognized that there's something else that's going on here, right? So we have, again, all three that are being mentioned. And we're supposed to baptize people in those, uh, in those three persons, in the name of those three persons. Here's Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So he conveys, again, three separate persons. But he's referring to one God. So may the, the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And of course, Peter does the same thing to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So you've got two of the main disciples of Jesus who are acknowledging the fact that there are three distinct persons. Have I convinced you? I don't know, maybe. We'll see. So if we're going to summarize what we've seen in the scripture, it kind of looks like this. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. It's a little confusing, isn't it? I feel like there's a lot of mental gymnastics going on here. I don't know about you, but I'm not so good at gymnastics. There are lots of attempts to try to explain the Trinity. There's one that I heard um, just a couple of years ago that I, I actually thought was, was not a bad way of doing it. Um, but the person who was explaining it tried to think in terms of water. So you have water, and then you have steam, and you have ice. But it's all water, right? And, and I kind of like that. I mean, I think it's a good start. You have to be a little careful with it because you never see ice, steam, and water all at the same time. And so the illustration does break down to a certain degree. But if you're just trying to step into this for the first time, that might be a way of beginning to understand this notion of the Trinity. Let me clue you in on a little secret. And I think this is really important. Uh, it's not going to cl clear things up for you, but it might make you feel a little bit better, okay? So here's the deal. When we talk about the Trinity, quite simply put, it's a mystery, okay? It's, it's a mystery. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, right? It's, it's a mystery, and it's not intellectual laziness that brings us there because some of the greatest minds in history have actually tackled this and tried to sort through it and tried to understand what it was all about. And they've concluded almost across the board, it's a mystery. How can three distinct persons be one? How can one being be divided into three distinct persons? It's a mystery. They've all concluded that is mysterious. And hopefully we'll understand it someday. Well, maybe when we get to heaven. I don't know. I think so. I think that would be helpful. The Trinity is central to Christian teaching. Uh, Dr. Tennant, who I introduced you to before, um, wrote this. I'm going to read this because I think this is really quite interesting. He says, Islam teaches that God is solitary 
and has no interest in revealing himself to us. Hinduism believes that the highest conception of God is abstract and impersonal. Buddhism does not believe in an ultimate God, only lesser enlightened beings. The Trinity is unique to the Christian proclamation. And it's also um, the foundation for our understanding of relationship. And this is why within church, the notion of community is a big deal. Because not only do we need each other, because you have gifts, I have gifts, uh, you have talents, I have talents, you have experience, I have experience, and we need each other in order to live this life, but more importantly, it underscores the love unity that happens in the Trinity and vice versa. And we need to understand that. That you cannot live this life alone. You're not supposed to. God doesn't live alone. He does, but he doesn't because he lives in perfect unity with himself. And so you can't expect to do it all on your own. Community is a big deal. Relationship is a big deal. I've heard this before. Uh, I wish I could remember where I heard it so that I could give credit where credit is due. But think of it this way, that God the Father is God without us. It's the original, you know, creator of all things, but it's God without us. God the Son is Emmanuel, God with us. Remember Christmas time? Singing Christmas carols? O come, O come, Emmanuel? Yeah. God the Holy Spirit is God within us. Same God. And it seems to me that we ignore well, we ignore to a degree the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe because it is mysterious. But we tend to ig ignore him. For instance, let me, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. <clears throat> we always refer to him as the Holy Spirit. The. Now, at Thrive Church, we refer to him as the Dan Farkas, okay? The. But that's not his name. His name is Dan. Just like you wouldn't want somebody calling you the, whatever it happens to be, but you have a name. And so Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit. And so I've just decided I'm going to stop calling him the Holy Spirit and just refer to him as Holy Spirit. Because that's his name. It's a simple thing, but I think language matters because language shapes how we understand things. And so I think we just drop the and we call him Holy Spirit from now on. Secondly, is we pray to God, we pray to Jesus, um, but for some, some reason, I, I, I don't think that we often pray to Holy Spirit. And maybe we ought to. I know sometimes we do, but, but it should be a regular part of our prayers. Pray to Holy Spirit. And the truth is, Holy Spirit is vital to our Christian life. It's at the center of this thing we call the presence of God. When we talk about chasing after the presence of God, we're really talking about communion with the Holy Spirit, hanging out with the Holy Spirit, communicating with the Holy Spirit, talking with him, 
having a dialogue, which means that we talk and we listen. And that's, that's the beauty of this, is because that when the when, when Holy Spirit is within us, as the Bible suggests, <clears throat> then we're going to have certain um, thoughts and we're going to have certain ideas that aren't necessarily our own, and yet they will sound like our, like, like our voice. Because God chooses to share headspace with us. And here's the beautiful thing about that, and you really need to pay attention to this, because in the Old Testament, God was outside of people, and so often there would be voices, and there would be visions, and there would be that sort of thing, and now God, who resides within us, speaks to us in our own language, in our own voice, but it is the voice of God, and so very often Christians will have impressions or intuition about things. Now, you have to learn what's, God, what, what's God's voice and what's your voice, right? But the point is, is that he's, if he's living inside of you, it's, it's not unreasonable to think that you aren't going to hear him in your own voice. And he wants to be with you. And he wants to communicate with you. And so he does that in a way that you're going to understand. And I think that shows the nature of God. The Holy, Holy Spirit gives us uh, authority. God doesn't just have authority over his creation. He has authority in his creation. And <clears throat> that's demonstrated very often through the acts of his kids. Through the things that you and I do exercise his authority. Holy Spirit also empowers us to live as Jesus. We call it the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness gentleness, and self-control, right? Yes. This is the fruit, fruit of the Spirit. We're empowered to do that. By the way, um, if you know some people who may or you know, may not have um, a relationship with Jesus, um, take a look at the fruit of their life. I, I'd just be curious if you would be able to name off all of those characteristics of them. Which is really funny because I know a lot of people who claim to be Christians and I can't necessarily see all of those fruit. But the point is, is that when we're in relationship with Holy Spirit, these are the types of things that we ought to expect be a part of our lives. He also um, uh, empowers us to act like Jesus through the gifts of the Spirit, of course. And so Holy Spirit extends the kingdom of God, oftentimes charging our witness being able to be able to tell the stories that Jesus has done for us, bringing things to mind. Have you ever had that? You're having a conversation with someone, someone, something that's relevant to the conversation just pops into your head, and when you say it, it's meaningful to the person who's listening that you're that you're talking to. That's Holy Spirit empowering you, extending the kingdom. And of course, the Holy Spirit extends the kingdom through signs and wonders. I heard, I heard this said, um, I think it was Bill Johnson who put it this way. I, I, I really like this. I'm, I'm trying to fully understand it. Holy Spirit resides in me for me. But Holy Spirit rests upon me for you. Holy Spirit resides inside of each one of you if you choose to follow Jesus. It's 
one of the promises that's made in the scripture. It's the down payment on the inheritance that you have as a son or daughter of God. It's part of your adoption. And so he resides in you for you, but he rests upon you for the people around you. So when I, when I show up on Sunday morning and I have a message, that's the Holy Spirit upon me for you. And you have your gifts too for the people around you. That's called the body. And we need this, this notion of community, this love relationship empowered, infused by Holy Spirit because the body needs nutrients. The body has functions and we need every person to do their functions so we can be the body. See how important this is to really understand this? It's an enormous thing to think about. So God, Holy Spirit, is in me for me, but he rests upon me for you. And the same is true for you. He resides in you for you, but he rests upon you for the people around you. It seems to me that, you know, we talk a lot about the presence of God and we talk a lot about important things like praying and reading the Bible and communicating with God. And we need empowerment as well. We need the authority. We need to ex- extend all of this. Another thought that kind of occurs to me is that there's this idea here of Oh, you've heard me rant about this before. I'll just rant again because it's fun. Um, but there's this notion that we're supposed to um, help people become Christians so they get to heaven. And for the longest time, I thought, well, that's true, but I think Jesus is more interested in bringing heaven to earth than he is in getting us all into heaven, Right? I've modified my, my stance on that a little bit. I've, I've modified my position. <clears throat> no, I've been thinking about this a little bit more because I'm not entirely sure that it's just about bringing heaven to earth. I think that Jesus, I think Holy Spirit is more interested in trying to get heaven inside of you than trying to get you inside of heaven. Think about that for a moment. Because if heaven is inside of you, if, if, the Holy, if Holy Spirit rests inside of you for you, but upon you for someone else, then the heaven that's inside of you can get translated to the people around you. You want to bring heaven to earth? Get heaven inside of you. It starts with you. It starts with you and that relationship and where you are in the presence of God and how you're listening and responding. We call that discipleship. And we all want that to occur. We all want to see that happen. We want to see reconciliation happen, especially, you know, this weekend when it's right in our face all the time. But the truth of the matter is, is if you want to change the human heart, start with your own. Right? 
take some responsibility for the relationship you have with Holy Spirit on a daily basis and see what happens. I dare you. Because I think what happens for most of us is we think it's just kind of this theory. Uh Uh-uh, it's not. It's real. Jesus is real. So is his Holy Spirit. But it has to get inside of you first. Holy Spirit is more interested in getting heaven inside of you than getting you into heaven. Meditate on that. Write that one down. If you don't have a journal, you ought to go buy one right now and write that one down. You ought to have a Sharpie for that one. I don't know. I got worked up there, didn't I? I want to, uh, as we're singing this last song, I really want you to pray as you're singing it. Let the song, let the lyrics be a prayer. And when you, when you sing songs like you know, having the Spirit being poured out. What you're really saying is, oh, get heaven inside of me. We're not interested in the Spirit just pouring out on everybody, making a big old mess, although that could happen. We want the Spirit to be poured out inside of each one of us. That, my friends, is the seed of revival. It starts here inside of me. The Spirit resides in me for me, but he rests upon me for you. But the bottom line is you've got to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have him as part of who you are. So as we sing this song, a couple of things. First of all, um, if you want some prayer, I'm going to be over here. Love to come... Have you come and pray? Um, However, I can serve you that way. But allow the lyrics of the song to be the words of your prayer. Okay, I'm going to say it this way. (laughs) If you are not in a place in your heart where you want Holy Spirit to reside in you, don't sing. Those are empty words. Just don't do it. It's okay. We're not going to look at you funny. But if there's this little part of you that says, you know, I want to I know what this idea of heaven in me and this idea of revival and true reconciliation and what love actually means and, and all of that presence of God stuff that we've been talking about for a couple of years, I want to know what that is, then sing with all your heart and expect that God's going to answer because he will. I know he will. And his answer will be different for you than it is for me. And that's cool. Because that's the one thing that I've noticed about God. He's a custom tailor. Your faith is bespoke. Couture, if you prefer. It's not one size fits all. You've got a good, good father who gives good gifts to his kids. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, As a church, we want more of you. Really, want more of you. 
We want heaven inside of us. But that only happens, Spirit, if you're in each of us. And as we are gathered here in-house or online, you are no respecter of distance. And so my prayer is that as we sing this song together, your spirit would do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, come. Come. You know what we need, even when we don't. So we're going to trust you for that. And as we sing this song, Lord, I pray that the words aren't empty, but they are filled with the hope of a people who love you. We just sang that. Jesus, we love you. We acknowledge you're a good father. So would you pour your spirit out on each individual person, Holy Spirit, Come.